I work at uh, PayPal. I, oh, no shit. So if anybody has a problem inside of this world, they know who to go talk to now, right? This is true. This is true. Yep. I can catch <laughs> fraud patterns, money laundering, you name it. <laughs> Hey everyone, we've got a lot of news to cover before we kick off this podcast. First thing is the Bourbon Classic is returning again here in Louisville, featuring days of cocktails and uh, chefs and parties and a full day of being able to sit down in a classroom kind of environment setting and listen to some of the industry insiders talk a lot as well as master distillers. This is going to be happening from February 28th through March 3rd. You can read more about it and get your tickets online at bourbonclassic.com. Now, as most of you know that last year we featured some of podcast series from the Kentucky Derby Museum, and we're glad that we could actually do this again. And so we are going to be bringing back again the Kentucky Derby Museum's Legend Series. Now, they've actually reached out to us and they are offering a coupon code for all of our listeners to enjoy all three events. I'll talk about them here in a second, but the coupon code is BP50. Now, on February 16th, you can listen to Wes and Kyle Henderson of Angels Envy. On March 15th, it's going to be Fred and Freddie No of Jim Beam. And on March 29th, it's going to be Evan Kalsveen of Willett Distillery. Remember, you can get all three of these events for $150 using the coupon code BP50. And you can get these tickets by going to derbymuseum.org slash legendseries. So if you live in, near, or around in these Louisville neighborhoods or cities, please consider coming. We're going to be there. We're going to be recording this. However, these podcasts aren't going to go out for quite some time. So if you want to see Fred Minnick ask the hard questions in front of the audience, I encourage you to be there in person. For all of our Patreon supporters, remember, please log into Patreon and go check out those past emails. There's a post that is up now if you want to reserve your bottle or an opportunity to buy a bottle from the barrel that we picked from the Community Bourbon Roundtable uh, from Buffalo Trace that we just did. I think it was about last week. So make sure you go do that. If you're listening to this today on the release day of Thursday, February 1st, 2018, we are recording the 17th edition of the Bourbon Community Roundtable tonight at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you want to figure out the link to join us, make sure you check out Facebook, uh, Twitter, as well as Instagram. You can also follow Bourboner and Breaking Bourbon. You're going to see all of those links happen. And so you can go and you can join us tonight at 9 o'clock p.m. for that live recording. In addition, we are also going to roll out a new email list. So if you never want to miss an episode and you want to be notified first thing in the morning when it's released, go to bourbonpursuit.com, scroll down a little bit in the page, and you're going to see an icon that says to join the mailing list so you can never miss an episode. Make sure you do that. Fill out your name and info and you'll be automatically emailed every single day when a new podcast is released. Lastly, one thing to understand going into this episode is know that we've all been there before. We've all been new to a hobby and we've all been new to bourbon at some point. And this is a fresh new perspective of learning how anybody can come into this and kind of get overwhelmed at times. So make sure you keep that in mind. And it's really interesting because we get to see a lot of new ways that people look at this hobby and how they take it, even if you are a spirits enthusiast to begin with. As always, make sure you support the show on Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash Pursuit. Subscribe to us on iTunes, also YouTube, like us on Facebook, and make sure you also enjoy this week's episode. 
And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast, the official podcast of bourbon. Just kidding here tonight, but this is uh, this is going to be a great episode because we're talking about something that is very familiar to anybody that's gotten into this. You know, when we, what I should say for myself, you know, I've been drinking bourbon as, as a lot of people know that for a long, long time, ever since college and never really stopped. However, there does come a time when you start learning about, oh, what's next? Like, what can we get in front of? Uh, you know, how do we get to that next stage of figuring out how can we learn more about bourbon? And then there's some people right now within this this explosion that's happening that they're just getting into no- noticing more about the craft. They are desperate for more information. And then uh, then they take the deep end and they start doing uh, what many of us are doing and they start doing a, a small collection. So tonight, what we do is, we are t- today, we're actually recording it almost tonight, but today who we have on the show is somebody that's not new to spirits, but just now getting into the hunt of bourbon. So we have Darren Meller on the show tonight. So Darren, welcome to the show. Hey, Kenny, thanks for having me. I'm really pleasured and grateful to be on the show. So we were talking a little bit before we started recording here and getting to the idea of how you are, like I said, you're not new to spirits, but you're getting into bourbon. So kind of talk about your your journey and just that and sort of how it's led into what it's become today. But we'll talk a little bit more about like, you know, what first attracted you to it. Uh, you know, is there anything that, you know, really got you really into it, stuff like that, but kind of talk about your journey so far. So just like anyone else, I went up to university, I went off to the university and of course I drank really crappy spirits and beers and whatnot. And then I decided that my palate was maturing as I was maturing and I started to get into vodkas and I really couldn't differentiate the high-end vodkas, Grey Goose, Ciroc, um, and all the other ones that were out there. And what really inspired me was history and what goes into making the spirits vodka Besides Dan Aykroyd saying that he could filter his crystal skull through diamonds in Nova Scotia, that's kind of special, I guess. But 
um, darker, um, more aged products like tequilas is really how I got my foot into the door. And I went off the deep end with both uh, Patron and Don Julio and started buying some of the high-end Patrons like the Patron Platinum and realized that there was more of a joy to sip on something versus shoot it or put it in a mixed drink. Otherwise, you were just kind of wasting it. And then I, one day with a tax return, I was just really stupid. And I went to a grocery store in, in Iowa and, and talked to the spirits manager and said, hey, can you get me a bottle of Grand Patron Bordeos? And he just looked at me like, are you crazy? And that's a $500 bottle of tequila. And it was one of four for the state that year. And I was able to get that bottle um, when restaurants were the only other people who were able to get that. Still have it, still haven't opened it. And then the tequila boom just started to be more of a hipster thing. And then I got into craft beer. My friend's a designer for a pretty big um, place in Omaha called Infusion Brewery. He does all the label making. Got into craft beer for a while. So just kind of got sick of that chase, you know, going out to California, shipping back bottles, which you're not supposed to do, but shipping them back to Iowa that you can't find here. And then from there, um, stumbled upon when I was actually hunting for beer bourbon and the history behind it and the fact that they can put something in a charred barrel and turn something into something very delicious and have such a different expression based on age, char and climate and conditions of where it's aged really is, is what inspired me into bourbon. And my first one was actually the uh, Booker's uh, Blue Gale Creek, the 2016. So I haven't been in very long. Okay, good. So we'll have a, we'll have a lot of good information to talk about. So I kind of want to rewind back and, and talk about the tequila and craft beer phase. So I, I don't know of too many people that are getting into the tequila movement or and something like that. You know, I, I've had the opportunity to sample a, a few good tequilas. Uh, still, I have yet to jump the ship and go out and buy like five or six really good bottles of tequila. So what really made you get into that? Like what was the attraction there? Well, I had a best friend that I met in college and he and I actually would go and have lunch and we were part of a restaurant's tequila club and we would spend about $300 and for lunch and we, I ate two tacos. He had a taco salad, the rest was shots of tequila. Oh wow. And we, yeah. And they had 300 different varieties on site. And we started just going up the chain saying, okay, well, we have more disposable income because we're young and dumb and probably should have saved that money versus spending it, but moved up to Don Jose Real, 1942, and then moved up to the top tiers with Patron, like the um, Platino, Piedra, what didn't exist back then. And then the the creme de la creme for them is called their Don, or their Grand Patron Bordeos, which I have a $500 bottle behind me. I've tasted it, but I still can't find an excuse to even open it. So what, what makes a $500 tequila a $500 tequila? I mean, I'm just, I'm just not well-versed in it yet, and we won't dive too no. much. Just the last question on tequila. <laughs> no, no, totally. So with, with, with Patron and the higher-end tequilas, like Don Julio's Real is probably equivalent to it. They age it a lot longer than most tequilas. And due to the climate difference, like, you know, with scotch, they have to age it longer because it's colder in Ireland. In Mexico, it's warm usually year-round, and it's more temporal. So they age the tequila for over 12 months. They put it in uh, French Bordeaux barrels, and it's pure agave, and that's why it's high-end. So it's always going to be 100% pure blue agave. That ups the price. And then also the aging process. is If it's a añejo or a super añejo, an extra-aged one like a 23-year-old bourbon, it's going to be more expensive. And their maximum age time frame is about maybe 12 to 24 months. All right. See, now I'm learning something about tequila. I'm just going to make sure I don't have to 
spin off and then we'll start tequila pursuit at some point, but who, who yeah. knows? Yeah. <laughs> so I also want to talk a little bit about craft beer, right? I've, I've said it on uh, before on the show that I have, I have the utmost most respect for craft beer collectors and consumers because it is, it is not an easy chase and there's so many out there. Like you could, you could drink a, a different beer every day for the rest of your life for the next 70 years and still not drink every type of beer that is ever going to be in existence. Right. And when you want to get good beers and you want to age them, uh, you're paying up to up to 30, maybe even $50 for a beer. And that just sits on the shelf for a while. And then when you open it, you've got one sitting to actually enjoy it. So what kind of made you get into the craft beer movement and then also kind of get out of it? it it's kind of like what you said. It's just that you only have one sitting to open it. And also people just not knowing one of my favorite ones is from goose Island out of Illinois. They make a bourbon County beer, which segues into bourbon. It's aged in used bourbon barrels and it's real syrupy. We've actually had people come over to mutual friend's house and she just popped the bottle and was ready to pour herself a glass of it. And it's like, I think almost 12 to 14% alcohol by itself. And I got into it because of just the lure of being able to find it in different places, like traveling, kind of like uh, when Chick-fil-A wasn't somewhere like it was in Nebraska and, and rubbing it into people who um, didn't have it when I was out of state. So the lure of it was, you know, the collection and using apps like, and maybe this is a good idea for you um, to create is maybe like a bourbon app, but you would check into them. There's an app called uh, Untapped and you check into all the beers that you've tried. I think I maxed out at 544 different types of beers. And the funny thing about it was you could go to anywhere around the Midwest and find, not find a bottle of something, but you would be in, in Barcelona or Amsterdam or something like that, somewhere wonky, and you'd find something that it was impossible to find in the U.S., which that was kind of why I got out of it was because I didn't want to you know, put my name in lottery, stand in line like the people do for the iPhones to get a certain beer. Like I said, that, that you can't really seal up and enjoy later. It has to be drank then and then only. Well, now you have to stand in lotteries and wait for bourbon. So now you're just kind of just trading one for the other. <laughs> you got it. Yep. So, I mean, Bourbon County Stout is always one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it kicks up to around 14%. It's a solid beer. Uh, it, it's like soy sauce, right? That's what it tastes mm -hmm. like. It's actually pretty hard to finish a bottle by yourself uh, ever since 24 or 2015 when they actually made the uh, the bigger bottles and not just the regular regular size. You almost have to share them nowadays to be able to do that. But there is uh, somebody that said, you know, if you're really getting a beer and, you know, there's this is something that I just learned about uh, about two or three years ago was Sam Adams Utopia. Have you ever had oh, that? Yes. One? Yeah, yeah, I've had that one. It's like molasses, -y, very, very thick. And it's like 100 or 200. It was when I first saw it, it was about $100 for a bottle. I think it's gone over 200 by today's standards. But then also there's a whole other section. Like you guys were talking to the yeast guy on the show. I, they use spontaneous fermentation out in the California ones that specialize in sours. And they'll just open it up or, or throw in lactobacillica or bretomyces to create the sour beers. And also, which I, I said this to one of my spirit friends, um, he said, why did you give up um, beer? And I said, well, the sour beer. And I said, well, because it gave me heartburn and it gave me indigestion. He said, so now you're drinking, you know, barrel proof bourbon that's better, supposedly. And I said, I think it tastes better and I have to drink less of it to get enjoyment out of it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, cool. So we'll go. Uh, we'll, let's let's kind of move into the the bourbon section of this now. So we had you had talked about what really got you into bourbon was uh, the idea that you could put something into a newly charred oak barrel. It comes out and it tastes the way it does. And you had uh, did you say Booker's Bluegill was kind of like that that first one that that kind of really hooked you? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really a big fan of Brown Foreman, but on my birthday last year, and it's coming up again on the 21st of this month of December, I went out with my parents, went to a sushi bar, had my first uh, Old Fashioned, and I think it was uh, Dickel Rye was in it, and I didn't, and I thought it was bourbon, but my friends met up because um, one friend from the U.S. was back in town from South Africa, and we went to a bourbon bar called Grain at the time. It's now called Proof, and sat down poured some uh, four roses really liked the the way that it tasted and then you know started talking to the bartender getting to know more about how it was aged then went home and just started doing what normal people do top 10 best bourbons and of course pappy comes up in the buffalo trace antique ones and i'm like wow i'm not gonna be able to find these because i was googling everywhere the prices a i couldn't afford it and b they're just impossible to find went to my local spirit store called spirit world in omaha and just walked up to one of the experts there and they showed me around and they, I told them what tequila I liked. And they said, well, you might like this. And I just remember taking that first sip of Bluegill Creek and having that, you know, feeling in your cheeks with the um, alcohol kind of being stuck in there, almost like Listerine, but in a good way, you know, full of uh, fruit, cake, vanilla, and caramel flavors. And then from there, I heard there was a price increase on it. So I started hunting every single 2016 batch I could. I got the, um, the February, not the March, because that was the rye. And I got off your rocker and everything besides January of that year. And then I started moving into Blanton's because that was a smooth drinking one and realized that the distillers know, you know, how to prove it down. Blanton's is amazing. It's probably one of my go-tos or Eagle Rare as far as not putting any water on it. But still, there, there's some lure to even, you know, regular stag, just that barrel proof. And just the fact that they can put in a barrel for X amount of years. And depending on what char level it's at, you're going to get different flavors out of it. And you can put two together. And I like your idea of blind tasting because it truly, it's, it's just to me, the science behind it is beyond me, but it's just amazing how you can have two different distilleries, create something completely different just based on changing one or two factors. Yeah. And, and, you know, you kind of surprised me there because you, you take a little bit different approach than I think most people do that when they get into something let's, and we should also say that, you know, a lot of us are more informed consumers and we want to research more, but uh, sometimes people don't. I don't know if you did the same exact thing where maybe you were trying to buy your maybe first or second, maybe third bottle of bourbon and you go to the store and you just look at the shelves. I mean, was there a feeling of anxiousness or did you really not know what to do? Were you asking for help or you just said, well, I'm just going to play a little Russian roulette and pull something that's in a middle bit of a price range here and just go for it. It was a little bit of both. So the owner, he pushed me to Maker's Mark 46. That was the second bottle of bourbon that I bought on the sides, the four roses, uh, single barrel. Um, and with that, I walked in, you know, thinking, okay, well, you know, these are about $40, $50 bottles of bourbon. And I saw the Garrison's Brothers uh, gray labeled this, this, I think the higher proof one, barrel proof. And the bartender, Elzuri, walked around and actually ended up selling a bottle of Monkey Shoulder. But this is where I got really intrigued by it because I was anxious about prices. He said, you know, Garrison Brothers is kind of similar to tequila. They're down south. They have warmer climate. So they're going to be able to age their, their bourbon a lot quicker than they can in Kentucky. And he's like, I'm supposed to tell you to look at this, but we walked around. He showed me the differences between color, how long it's been aged, how it, that influences it. And then from there, I ended up walking out, I believe, with the monkey's shoulder and then um, decided to start looking at other aged bourbons outside of the uh, Beam Centauri you know, wheelhouse and even explored like Diageo's bullet bourbon because everyone told me that was okay. And w one day, just unknowingly, I had an, an anxiousness because I saw Stag Jr. just 
all over the shelves and um, a, a Nebraska store. And the, my favorite spirit guy there, he said on the shelf, he's like, this is rhetoric 23. Are you sure you want to, you know, leave this here? And I'm like, is it rare? So I called up Alzuri and I said, Hey, um, there's this stuff called rhetoric 23 sitting on the shelf. Is it any good? And he's like, yeah, what's the cost? And it's like 149. He's like, grab it. And I did, I still haven't opened it yet. <laughs> I've tasted it at the bars, but I, I, I guess it was kind of methodical, but also taking advice from bartenders and mixologists who were honest about it, who weren't just trying to make a buck on it to say the most expensive stuff. So why did you uh, gravitate towards like grabbing a stag junior? Uh, was it something that you read or is it just, uh, you saw pictures or is it just, I mean, what, what, what was that, that initial thinking? I, I like Buffalo Trace. I mean, my first two expressions from their distillery was Eagle Rare and also uh, Blanton. So I figured that, you know, Buffalo Trace puts out good product and it can't be too bad. And I saw Uncut Unfiltered on there. And that's goes back to the uh, Beams and Tory uh, Booker's variety. And I believe that's probably their direct competition, if there is any, between the two. And I just said, hey, you know, this stuff is 137 proof. I'm not going to have to water it down in my opinion at the time, I actually wanted to blog about it and say that I like barrel proof more so because I can add my right amount of water. And to me, it doesn't matter whether it's limestone water or it's, you know, mountain snow melt from Breckenridge breweries or Breckenridge distilleries water. I wanted to put, you know, whatever water I could in there and kind of, you know, not put, put it on ice and drink it straight. And that's what made me gravitate toward it, towards it because it was barrel proof and a reasonable price. So you, you were smart enough to know that it was actually from Buffalo Trace, right? Um, but most people, they're going to walk in the store and they're going to see all these different labels and not even understand that, yeah, like there's, there's only really like six or seven distilleries, right? And 90 labels come from these six or seven. So how did you figure out that information or decipher it? Because a lot of that comes from actually just having to learn knowledge about the bourbon industry in general. It was from this podcast, you know, just talking about the different, uh, you know, distilleries that are big, like Brown Foreman, Luxco making Blood Oath, um, and some of the other brands like Rebel Yell, which I think is owned by someone else. It's a subsidiary, but plugging a ton of time into Wikipedia and into uh, Google as well, just looking up, you know, this brand and then finding out who the parent company was and then expanding their portfolio, like going to Buffalo Trace's website and clicking on their brands and then finding out they're owned by Sazerac. And then finding, you know, what other expressions they have under that umbrella or BM Centauri and or Diageo as well, too. So that's really what made me know that that was George T. Stagg was a Buffalo Trace expression was just the research I put in prior to seeing it on the shelf. So what was your reaction? Were you like, oh, OK, I mean, I guess that's what it is. Or you're like, this is just a huge scam. Like they're just they're like, why don't they just make one thing? And then that's that's just what they make. Well, I think it was a video I watched with uh, with Elmer T um, sitting in in the room before he, I think he's deceased. If, if knowledge, if it memory serves me correctly, but he was sitting in the room tasting things blindly, um, going you know with that turning table, the old way of tasting it. And I think that the the way that they explain how they do things is what encouraged me to go that direction. I mean, it's. Just like going back to that that starting point, it amazes me that you can put something in a barrel and it comes out based on different factors. Like, for instance, you and I had a conversation on Facebook about how Pappy 20 has that funk, but 23 does not. It's a lot smoother. And for some reason, I don't know if it's just what they put into that barrel but or what goes in the mash bill, but it's just how 
you can put something so simple in there and adhere to the laws of it being a charred oak barrel, 51% corn, and then um, you know the other factors that make it actually be able to be called bourbon, but yet you get something so different based on you know how it's treated and a bunch of other things, or whether or not the yeast gets contaminated and things like that, or whether yeah. it's sour mash or sweet mash. Yeah, I don't want to dive in the rabbit hole, but that's that was an anomaly. Really, it is anomaly because uh, Van Winkle Twenty has been one of my my favorite of the expressions. Um, however, the twenty sixteen just wasn't good. I don't know why it just wasn't. And then I haven't had to, had a chance to try the twenty seventeen. And when you sent me that message, I was like, "Oh crap, it's going to be just like the twenty sixteen. So yeah, it just has that, that mildewy smell. Like it's very earthy. If, if that's what the twenty sixteen tasted like, that's that's what it is. Spot on. So now people know, go ahead and get rid of them. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so the other thing is, you know, when you go and you start looking at the shelves and they're, they're aligned with all these things, you know, you're, you're becoming more, more savvy, understanding that a lot of these distilleries are pumping out more labels than maybe, I don't know, they're probably four barrels for every label they come out with or something, right? That's probably, it's a ton. But what about NDPs? Like, do you, was there a point where you didn't understand where this was coming from or what the idea of even source bourbon actually meant? Yeah. I mean, it was with Jefferson's, I think, because I actually was reading the label and my dad, he's very analytical. I was sitting next to him and I told him why I bought it. And he said, they're saying there that they don't make their own bourbon. They're sourcing it from, you know, established distilleries and they're experimenting. And that's, that's really where I just started changing my outlook and even looking at, you know, the less expensive bourbons as well and looking towards craft because at the end of the day, I don't have an infinite, you know, source of income and neither does anyone that I know of unless you're Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or something to that effect. But um, I'm trying even in newer ones like Costco has uh, bookers for 50 bucks a bottle and that's a lot less than what you're seeing it elsewhere. And they did get a couple uh, wellers in that they sold for probably less than what, you know, most people, you know, would ever buy like what you talked about on the show. But now it's kind of like getting towards that craft side of things where I'm trying a bunch of these craft distilleries that haven't really had um, the big boy, you know, price value where they can ask for X amount just to be more diverse within, you know, my re- repertoire of what I've tried. Absolutely. I mean, what what is your idea of craft so far? I think like, that they're doing pretty well. I mean, I, I don't really care for Breckenridge. I um, I think that it's kind of weird that it says that it's only aged for two years on the back of the bottle. I mean, it's still an age statement, which is nice. But at the end of the day, some of the craft ones are good, but some are, you know, kind of, they can be kind of garbagey. But they're trying to, to push out the best product possible so they can compete with the big boys and actually stand out. And maybe their end game is to be acquired by them, you know, because, I mean, not a lot of people know that, um, you know, Diageo owns this and Lux are, I mean, the Sazerac owns Buffalo Trace. I mean, it's just, I, I think that they're trying to push out the best product to get their, their foot in the door and use word of mouth advertising. Cause unless it's Mila Kunis dancing over a bottle of, uh, um, you know, whatever she's advertising for Jim Beam. Yeah. 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 You don't, you don't get to see, you know, advertising besides people like us chatting about it. Right. Absolutely. So uh, another question back on the NDPs real quick, you know, when you started researching it and you became more aware of what an NDP was and you know what to look at the label, has that affected your, your buying habit to be able to say, 
you know, I'm only going to buy something where I know where it's coming from. Or are you saying, I'll go to whim. Like if it says it came from somewhere in Indiana, I know it's MGP and it's going to be a, probably a decent product. I, I would say that it swayed me at first, but literally, to be honest with you, I sometimes I'll go to breakingbourbon.com and just get their straight up review and see whether or not it's a good value. Because I think that they pour a lot of thought into their, um, it is they discussed in your round table. And I think that just looking up reviews and seeing whether or not people say it's worth it or whether or not it's a pass. Like when you guys tasted that orphan barrel that, you know, was uh, pretty much overhyped uh, crown Royal and said it was crap. I probably would have bought it if I wouldn't have you know heard that, or there wasn't an article out there, you know, reflecting that. So to me, it doesn't really work. It's so much where it comes from. It's the end product and what the juice inside the bottle actually tastes like, you know, and, and what people have said about it. And right. so I'm not going to let their opinion completely sway me, but it's also going to keep me away from blowing a hundred bucks on something that is garbage. Absolutely. So uh, catch 22 asked a question. He said is uh, I'm curious if by now, if you found your, your palate preferences yet and how's that journey progressed, or are you still trying to figure that out as you go? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to bourbon plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So uh, Catch22 asked a question. He said, is, uh, I'm curious if by now, if you found your, your palate preferences yet, and how's that journey progressed? Or are you still trying to figure that out as you go? So I, I sat down with Joel, who's uh, the, the owner of the, the Bar Proof in Omaha, where I had the Pappy Flight and all the Buffalo Trace Antique collection besides the Eagle Rare. And I figured out that I guess your palate gets burned out about 90 proof. And then everything just seems to taste good after that point in time. But my palate choice, um, as far as what I look for in it, is a caramel taste, um, a little bit of fruitcake, not too much spice towards the end. But I like a long finish where, you know, you can have that aftertaste of vanilla. That's what I was chasing, even going back to the tequila days with Cabo Wabo Uno, um, Grandpa John Berdeos, and even Don Julio Real versus like even a lower rung tequila, not just backtrack tequila. Um, 
but to Don Julio in 1942, it doesn't have that same finish on it. So definitely that's how I was able to get into Booker's was because I was able to describe my vanilla and caramel and kind of that brown sugar taste to it. And, and this is going to be a spin on uh, Catch-22's kind of next section. He, he kind of want to know, you know, you kind of talk about proof as you've kind of figured out where your, where your balance is there. But, uh, you know, what about your palate when you look at high rye versus low rye versus a weeded bourbon? And what actually took you, what was the process of actually learning those as well? Tasting and also uh, essentially just experimentation. Um, I bought Blood Oath on a whim, and that's a high rye bourbon. The pack three is at least. And I kind of like that spiciness. And for some reason, like I even messaged you whether or not I sh- it was a good idea to buy Whistlepig or Michter's, um, which I think those, to my knowledge, I know Whistlepig is a rye whiskey, but Michter's has a little bit more rye content than some of the others as well. So I think my palate is changing to where I'm appreciating that spiciness. At first, I wouldn't drink rye whiskey to you know save the world, but because it made me think of all the Jack Daniel shots that I had as a young college student. But now that we're seeing more mature rye in there and they're actually, it's more of a delicate rye taste. I'm kind of migrating into it. It's growing on me. Okay. Good deal. So what actually, I guess this is one of those things, you know, if, if you're not new to bourbon, you look at a shelf full of things and you see, you see bourbon whiskey. Uh, and then sometimes you look down and you see rye whiskey. Uh, however, there are different rye contents. There's different wheat contents. Did you ever even think to yourself, like, I didn't even even think about, you know, this is a wheated bourbon, this is a rye bourbon. Um, it, what was that process of figuring that out as well? That That's also was, was trial and error. I mean, I didn't know that a wheated bourbon was going to be smoother, and that's why I liked Weller, um, and also why I, I think that I are gravitated towards like the just the regular green label weller that you can find sometimes and i was looking for more of a smooth bourbon because bookers and some of the other ones they punched me in the face literally like when you drink it because it's so hot and like same thing with bakers or to me basil hayden isn't as smooth as what some people say um but my development was that now that i've experimented the barrel proof and i don't like to water down because I probably am not good at putting the right amount of water in there for, you know, being, having a good taste for what my palate wants. I'm, I'm just looking at the shelf and saying, I'm going to pull the trigger on this and see if it's good. And if it's ends up being a bad choice, I'll end up uh, sharing it with some friends maybe that aren't as close to me or as, you know, into bourbon, or if it's ends up being good, then it's something I'm going to rebuy. I mean, it's when you're looking at the shelf, a lot of the times I'm looking at it like a deer in the headlights and I'm have my phone out Googling the bourbon, seeing how good it is. And then from there, that's where that anxiety comes in of what to, to pull. I mean, there's lots of times I've walked into the store, looked at the shelf and said, yeah, nothing's just jumping out at me. And I would just walk out with nothing. I mean, you kind of really jumped all in. You know, you talked about the very beginning of just buying bookers, right? And you're talking hit 115, 120 proof uh, right off the bat. What, what yeah. made you go with something that is uh, barrel proof? Because that's, that's not typically the... Uh, the first foot forward that we see of most bourbon drinkers, right? Yeah. So I, I think it comes from just drinking vodka because when I drank vodka, I didn't mix it with anything. I, I drank straight up martinis and I wanted to control, like even though I'm horrible at it, control the water that was in there. Um, and and it, for some reason, I, I was I thought that the distillery controlling the amount of water in there was a, a misstep. So I I think that I was wrong at first by thinking that. And now I'm appreciating even regular Angel's Envy that's only sitting at 90 proof and it's very smooth and easily, easily drinkable neat because I don't really like to put ice on it. 
and I like it to, you know, sit there and sip on it. So I think that jumping straight into that was literally just a mistake, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you call it a mistake. I mean, yeah. I mean, but it, it's, it's one of those things that you, you kind of like, you almost like skip the step there because it's typically mm-hmm. most people will, they'll start off with a makers or a bullet or something like that. And then they'll, then they'll find their way to a, a bookers or to a stag junior and then so on and so forth. Right. So it was interesting that that was the first step that you did take. Yeah. I think part of it's also my upbringing too. My dad's always, my mom and dad are all very frugal people who've saved their money. And my sister and I have always had the champagne taste on a beer budget. Um, they got her back in the nineties, a, uh, a, a, I think a Ford tempo and she had to go out and get an IROC Camaro. Um, and I, I've been the same way. Like my parents gave me a 92 Explorer. It wasn't good enough. So I had to trade it for a Beamer. I mean, just <laughs> things like that. It's, I, I think that's probably why it's just the lure of saying, Hey, um, cause also social media influences as well as being able to post, Hey, I have this bottle of rhetoric 23. Does anyone want to come join me in tasting it or being able to have that bottle and get into like whiskey tasting groups locally because you have that bottle and you have something to bring to the table. So, uh, we'll talk about social media here in a second, but I, I want to give a shout out to somebody else that, uh, is on the live chat here. That's a Patreon sponsor. And I kind of just put in there and said, you know, share any thoughts of what was surprising or frustrating uh, when you first got into this. And, and Brandon Griffith said the biggest shock to me was the price that can vary so much from store to store. Did you experience that as well? Because now that you're seasoned, you sort of understand that there's some stores that are just going to charge a dollar or two more. Costco's always going to be cheaper. So how did you, how did you find out about that? Just from going from store to store, like when I was first hunting for bookers, you know, the whole 2016 series that I could get my hands on, I noticed the store in Papillion, Nebraska, which is a suburb of Omaha, was charging about 5 to $10 more than what the one in Midtown Omaha was, was charging there. And I asked the manager, they said, well, it just depends on really, um, and, and it was both High V, which is the uh, big grocery store chain that we have here in the Midwest. They said it just depends on how much we want to charge for the markup. So the price gouging is a real thing. And I think that, you know, not looking what the fair price value is, is something that um, can, can burn you at the end of the day. Because if you walk out of a, a, a store and you pay $10 more than retailer, you go to caskers.com and pay the shipping and pay their extra markup. It kind of makes you feel like an idiot. Like my first bottle of Angel's Envy, I think I paid 75 bucks for it. And now I just bought it from the store now that's available in Iowa, Nebraska for what, $49, Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You, you end up, you end up learning those little tricks uh, over time. Uh, Catch 22 has another question for you. You know, you, you see all these uh, stickers and hang tags that you see on uh, bottles when you go to the store. And a lot of them are saying it won a, a double gold at the San Francisco whiskey awards. Did any of those have any factors into your buying decisions early on? No, because I think that a lot of that can be influenced by hype and sponsors and people who are influencers that just say that something's good. Um, like the guy who wrote the, the bourbon book. I mean, yeah, Booker's Rye was a, was a good bourbon. Um, but I think that the grassroots movement, the people that are real like you and me and the people who write for um, the people who join your roundtables, who blog about it, they're the ones who really don't have a vested interest in saying this is going to be good. It's kind of it comes from my photography background. If you're sponsored by Canon, you're going to say everything Canon is good. You're going to say everything that from Nikon is crap. So that's really what made me pick my bourbons and, and choose them more wisely was going from the reviews from grassroots versus saying, well, this is a gold medal. I mean, to me, an award is an award. 
Um, and it's probably well-earned and, you know, I'm not trying to bash on those awards too much, but I would rather hear from a human being who's actually tasted it. That's down to earth. Right. I, I mean, that's one of those things that I think a lot of people don't understand is that, uh, it's a pay to play scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that is when you have been entrenched in the market so long, like, um, you don't, you don't see Jack Daniels entering themselves into whiskey competitions, but they're the number one whiskey that sells across the entire globe. Right. It, it's, sure. it's, it's, so it's one of those things that I think it's, it's more marketing than anything. So, um, you end up, you end up, you know, getting through that. Um, so I kind of want to move on to a little bit of the social side. So have you come to find yourself familiar with Facebook groups and Reddit now that you're actually getting into this and, and how did you, I guess it could just be word of mouth or could just be research of, of how you found out about them as well. So the Facebook one has been more, more accessible, I guess, Reddit. I've never really gotten into Reddit too deeply. I, I posted my first impression of bookers when I tasted it and it actually resulted in BM Centauri sending me two of their center glasses, um, a note taking book, essentially what they give to people for their tasting sessions and a pen that said bookers on it with a nice letter. So that's so, go to that Reddit cool. now, put in your bookers reviews. <laughs> yeah, but, but then the Reddit community came back at me and they're like, well, Hey, uh, you're posting from your WordPress blog or whatever it was on Tumblr, I think. And they said that that's, you know, goes against the bourbon um, reviews. You have to actually write it within there supposedly. And, and so I pulled the, the post on there, but not, too soon because uh, Beam Centauri was calling me up and saying, hey, we really like your post. And they actually ended up sending me one of the batch three Knob Creek uh, 2001. So that wasn't too bad for, you know, taking about 20, 30 minutes to write about it. Yeah, I think that's the, the biggest incentive of doing it as well. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Getting free stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Who doesn't like that? Yeah, Reddit. Reddit's about to blow up now. Uh, <laughs> if it wasn't already big, now everybody knows that you get free stuff if you put Reddit reviews. I think uh, I think that's an easy way to do it. So um, let's talk a little bit about when you get into whether whether you're reading reviews on Reddit or whether you're coming into um, some of the most popular like open sites that are on Facebook. Uh, what are your What are your initial thoughts? Is it, do you just become like anything? You know, I come from the tech world, right? And and you do too. Is that you just have to be a lurker at first, and you kind of have to understand how this all works, or do you just jump head in? I I think more of a lurker. I think the smartest people out there are the ones who are quiet and listen. And if, if you go and you know pretend like you know it all from the beginning, as soon as you say you get it and know everything about bourbon, then I think you're shutting off your ability to want to learn more about it. But if you sit back, listen to podcasts, search um, when, when you have some downtime instead of watching some uh, silly show on Netflix or something like that, watch YouTube videos about it and see what other people's opinions are, then you're going to learn more um, in-depth process of it. I mean, I didn't know that Elijah Craig accidentally burnt or didn't accidentally, but burn the barrels to get the fish smell out of them. And that's how this accident that we have that bourbon was created. I mean, that's was just in a YouTube video I found one day and that really helped me gain that appreciation of it. So, I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, I am just so entrenched in it because the history, I mean, the fact that, you know, everything ended up under so many, um, so many few umbrellas and the collaboration during the hard times in between each distillery, even though they're actually adversaries of each other, a competition, that's what really draws me into it is because it seems like it's a family, even though we're all competing to try to get the same stuff when it comes to the rare allocated stuff. 
Well, I could, I wouldn't, I don't, don't look too deep about what people tell you of how, who, who made the first charred barrel. Cause honestly, the fish smell, that was the first time that I've ever heard that one. So yeah, yeah. It, okay. uh, yeah I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there is the lore that Elijah Craig, I mean, I've heard the one where uh, his house burnt down and then he got the idea to char the whiskey. I mean, it's, it's all yeah. lore. like nobody has any clue of where it first started. Right. So True. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could take it to that. You could take that, you know, at one point Michter's was uh, saying that it was the original whiskey that George Washington used to drink, but you know, there's, it's just marketing, right? It's, it's, the day. it's so lure. Yeah. It really is. So, so you always have to take those a little bit with a grain of salt when you come from the marketing side. So a, a little bit more when you get into the, uh, the groups in themselves, you know, you said you kind of sit back and you listen and you come a lurker for a little bit. Was there anything that was um, brand new that you were kind of like taken back or surprised about when you are trying to read these forms that things are uh, maybe a little surprising that you didn't really understand maybe what people were talking about or anything like that? I would say it's the allocation side of things um, because I was really surprised when I heard that episode about allocation when you had the big um, two stores online talking about how it's essentially pay to play, you know, how many bottles of fireball you sell will determine whether or not you get Pappy or whether you get Buffalo Trace um, antique collection. And that was really surprising. So actually I called um, Buffalo Trace's customer service and I said, hey, I want to make sure that Republic National Corporation, which is Omaha's or Nebraska's distributor, is not holding it and that the stores aren't holding it to sell to their friends because that seems to be completely unfair. And I used the example. I said, you know, the iPhone X is coming out. They can make more of those things, but they can't create a time machine and go lay down more bottles of Sazerac 18 years ago. And so and say, oh, yeah, people are going to go ape over this in 2018. Um, so with that, I called him. I was very surprised to get a call from a Sazerac rep that actually does the Nebraska area. And he explained to me that, hey, we don't really put up with any of that secondary market type stuff where people are trying to resell it. Um, and then also we're really not into the um, we're making sure that our rich distributors and the stores are not holding back bottles. Everything's just once it's on the shelf, it's going to fly off. And he said, explain to me that they really are looking for impressions like we talked about earlier. Well, kind of talk about that, right? Uh, talk about the impressions because, you know, it sounds like um, it's a good story. It's a good, it's as, it's about as honest as he can give it, but it's probably not the actual truth of what happens, right? Yeah. So he said the state of Nebraska got 40 bottles. I think it was the number they told me of Sazerac 18. And he didn't tell me how many of the other runs out of that antique collection were received, but he said that they're looking for impressions. And it's been said on the show before that Bourbon drinkers were probably the greediest people out there because we, we want to sit there, be able to, you know, have a sip of Pappy or whatever, our, our favorite bourbon, you know, three or four nights a week for a couple months till it's gone. But that's one person enjoying it. You may, you know, share it with someone else. Like, we, you know, one of your mutual friends that likes bourbon, you may take it over to a, a family gathering and there's 15 people who try it. But Sazerac's rep literally said they would rather have their bourbons behind the bar because then people are buying it by one or two ounce pours and they're getting 25, maybe 50 people drinking one bottle of something. And then that's how the word of mouth advertising spreads because word of mouth is so powerful in, in the business. And that was his straightforward answer. And I said, okay, well, I, I guess it is what it is. And I said, but it kind of, I guess, gives some validity to the scarcity. At least I, I believed him in good faith that it did more so than, you know, how many bottles of it, how many more bottles are they going to find that are orphaned 
um, that Diageo says is scarce to put a, a price tag and a story behind it. So what led you into kind of like just jumping in? I mean, you, you had mentioned you sat at the bar and you had a flight of a flight of Van Winkle, a flight of antique collection. And and for me, it took me years. I mean, I was a bourbon drinker uh, from starting in like 2000 and what was it? 2006. Right. It's kind of when I first wow. started. I didn't really even know that Van Winkles and all even Four Roses Limited, even a, they didn't even exist to me until about like 2000, early 2013. That's when I even found out about them. So how did you kind of just start to get into this? And then all of a sudden you learn about these, these high end and rare releases. The relationships with the bartenders that I would see and they would be excited about it. They would say something special is coming in and I didn't know what it was. And then also just, I think that with the influx of the bourbon bubble growing, there's been more people talking about it. And if you just search top 10 bourbons or best bourbon out there, you're going to have those ones listed. And I think it's just part of that. Going back to my champagne taste, I want the best of the best. Right. Instead of, you know, trying stuff that may be a better value, you know, um, like the, uh, if you go for an Evan Williams, um, the late, the one that the guy brought back, the one with the wrong label, um, that was on a previous uh, podcast episode, I mean, those are probably a better value, but to me, I just want to say the best, the best, I guess that's could be probably classified as possibly a little bit narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, yeah, it could be, uh, it's always a thing is when we, when we talk about this stuff, cause I, I don't like to always talk about rare stuff, but it just happens because it's just, what's exciting to talk about, but it is, um, it's like, it's like, am I creating the problem or are you the problem? Cause you know, you're new to this and you go and you start you know, you just want to get into it and get all the high end stuff right away. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think that is the double edged sword, but also there's some sentimental things like last night was the first night that I watched, uh, the, the sequel to the Kingsman movie, the Statesman. And I know that they, and I have a bottle of that behind me and I sat there and I, I drank that while I watched the movie just because it kind of went with it. And I noticed, you know, all of the, the products from, uh, Brown Foreman were in the background, even the Herodurus tequila that they had poured you know, for the guy named tequila in the movie. So I don't know. I, I think part of it's being a little bit uppity and being kind of a hipster. Um, I think the hipster movement is really what's hurting a lot of the industries that's hurt the beer industry and the tequila industry, as far as price explosion, people getting into it and then kind of abandoning it. Like there's been things I've read that people are gravitating towards aged rum. And if they do, that's great because that means that maybe bourbon prices might settle. That might be the resolution. Absolutely. So um, back again to the the social media side. So I guess this is one of the things that, that I was always, I was fascinated with. And then when I end up inviting people to groups, I always tell them, I say, make sure you sit back and you lurk. And then when you see the words like, or the, the letters like WLW or uh, OFBB, like, don't just go ahead. Like you have to figure out like what all those mean. So when you saw all these acronyms, like how did you, uh, how was your, how did you, how are you able to start deciphering those? Just the, the same way you do in the tech world. You just, you have to either, you have to ask someone, you have to have the humility to, to put the question out there and just say, I don't know what this means. Can you define this for me? And I mean, you can Google it if you want to, but a lot of the times I would even get snarky responses and there's that little link someone could send you that says, let me Google that for you. And it, it plugs in um, that string of code and it actually pulls Google and search and shows how to do it. So yeah, I, I would ask people and sometimes I would, people would give me kind of a weird um, look on my face. Like, why don't you know this if you're drinking all this other bourbon and things like that? But um, 
you're not going to know unless you ask. Absolutely. I think, uh, I, th- I think it might be the next a t-shirt idea for us. We're just going to have a, a, the back of our t-shirts. You just say bourbon acronyms, and then it's just going to be a, a whole slew of them back there. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have to write that one down. There you go. So, so now that you're getting into the scene, um, you know, you're, you're getting in, you know, you said you have a champagne taste and, mm-hmm. and on, a, on a beer budget. But at this point, what, is, what have you found is maybe the most frustrating thing with the bourbon scene? I, I think that it's uh, not being able to have what you want um, and, and having to pay uh, maybe 50 to $60 for two ounces of something that you can't get a bottle of. Um, I think that that's the frustrating part or the fact that I jumped into the high end stuff right away and just overlooked all the stuff that could be a more fair price point that could actually be something that is more enjoyable and can adhere to that beer budget. I mean, honestly, you don't need to share on Snapchat and on Instagram, all the, the bourbon that you're drinking, because frankly, most people probably don't care. And at the same time, it gets frustrating as well because they're like, Oh, this guy's been drinking bourbon since fall of 2016. And he may not even know what he's, what he has in his hands. So I I think that that's uh, some kind of a a, a step back in the correct direction, probably for the connoisseurs like yourself who've been drinking it for a while and appreciating it for a longer period of time. So I I guess what's that advice that you can give to people that, I mean, don't, we talked about it uh, in a previous episode about how, how the the community's changed to where everybody is really attacking a lot of newbies that actually come to the scene what advice can you give to people that have been around it for a while of of how they can be more welcoming to uh people that want to want to join it i think that the best thing to do is approach with kindness i think when everything in life if you approach it with kindness versus uh you know being on the defensive it's going to yield better results my if someone would have just told me Darren, instead of spending seventy, eighty, hundred dollars on this, try this, see if you like it, and maybe not just handing me, you know, the Booker's uh, bourbon proof. I, maybe that was a bad uh, recommendation from the the woman at the liquor store on that day. But I think that someone who is really lurking and, and sitting and listening, I think that welcoming those new people and saying, "Hey, start out with Bullet. Maybe start out with uh, some Maker's Forty Six if you want to get fancy, or start out with regular Makers or." Um, you know, other bourbons that are usually overlooked like Elijah Craig or anything from Heaven Hill, like Larceny, they had it with a $20 rebate and I got the bottle for 10 bucks at the end of the day because they sent me a $20 check. And that that's a delicious uh, expression, but it's not going to break the bank. So I think that having or just welcoming people in the community and telling them to gravitate towards the inexpensive stuff, I think would be a better way to help the veterans out because then you can essentially earn your keep and then start buying the expensive stuff because you know what you're talking about. I mean, I've poured hours into this in a, in a short amount of time at, you know, at a, at a very fast pace. But when it comes full circle, I did just jump in and just bought whatever I, I thought was cool. Absolutely. So uh, we had posed that question earlier about what's, what's frustrating uh, that you're getting into bourbon. Brandon Griffith said crotch shots or is what's frustrating to him. I don't know if uh, I think I'm over it. But I don't know yeah. about you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's that's uh, it's tough. I mean, it's it's like trying to get into anything else. I mean, even when I played golf and, and trying to ask my friends who played more often what clubs to get, they would tell me the top end ones. But that's not something that's allocated. You're always going to be able to buy whatever you need to to buy. Yeah, so you can tough. you can manufacture some new pings. That's for sure. Exactly. And I, I'm more of a cobra guy, but it's okay. I won't hold it against you. <laughs> 
um, let's see. So uh, 22 or was it? Oh, oh Bill Nell had a, had a good question. He says, you know, you, you had mentioned that, you know, you're waiting in lines for the beer scene. Are you, are you surprised that people are also waiting in lines and lotteries for uh, bourbons as well? I'm not surprised by it, but I just, I don't participate in it because the people who are dedicated enough to wait in those lines, I think deserve the ability to have the chance to taste it. Um, if I see something on the shelf that's rare, I'm going to snag it. Um, but, and I, but I'm not going to text 5,000 people that I know and say, Hey, go out and buy this. Um, because I, I want those people who are veterans and who not truck chasers, but people who are out on the hunt, just regular average Joe's to be able to have those expressions that they see and not just, uh, you know, stand in line and there is a newbie. I don't think that a newbie really has a place to stand in line and, and do that because you couldn't even really have the banter, the conversation with someone that you could listen, but I don't think you could really add any value to the conversation while you're waiting in line with those veterans. That's a, that's probably the most real and honest answer. I think that we've, that's, that's really good because I mean, around here, it is what it is. Right. And people will, they'll bring their moms and their brothers and their cousins and, um, there's, there's just all, I mean, the only way wrong, there's people that just, we've got a local group that's got over 1200 people in it and every single one of them will be at every single raffle, even though there's only about maybe 50 to hundred people that actually communicate and actually participate in that group. Right. Um, a lot of them are, are, I would, not only they're lurkers, I would consider them leechers of the, uh, of what's going on, but that's just me. So, uh, yeah, we'll kind of uh, we'll wrap it up a little bit. So one of the the last questions, um, there was is a, a pretty funny one that was uh, coming from Catch Twenty um, Two, and he he said, uh, and it applies to me too. He says, "Have you started hiding bottles from your your wife or significant other yet?" Yeah, I've had to hide those bottles, and I worked a ton of overtime um, and got that sinus infection that seems to get you know the whole country had and. I brought in that bottle of Statesman and also uh, I think it was some other higher end bourbon and I'd have it in the brown bag and I would wait for that opportune time to sneak it into the house. (laughs) Yeah. Bill says that he he has a 1792 225th sitting in his car right now. He has to bring when the wife's out. And then uh, Brandon Griffith says that he stuffs uh, Russell's reserve picks in his work bag to just be able to sneak them inside. So, and yeah. Yeah, I got to do the same thing, right? I mean, uh, it, it's just they, they seem to multiply like bunnies uh, every single time I, I go to the store. And I, I can't help but help support my local. And, and when I do that, I've got more bourbon than I could probably drink, at least in this lifetime. But that's OK. You know? Yeah, there were there were 12 extra bottles uh, that I just took in for recycling on the shelf behind me, which is my dresser. Um, but with <laughs> that, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of sad because I turned them in for fi- a nickel a pop, which is Iowa's return rate. And I'm like. Some of these were quite expensive and it's, it's hard to let them go, but it looks a little bit better as, as well. <laughs> Not to yeah, have all well, those empties. At least you get money for them. We have, I get to turn mine into uh, uh, somebody that's been on the show before to turn them into candles. That's all I get out of it. So yeah, Not too bad. Yep. So Darren, I want to say thanks again for coming on the show tonight. It was a pleasure to kind of get the ideas of what it's like to uh, be, you know, getting new into the bourbon scene and understanding, you know, what are the frustrations, what is what surprises you, everything like that. So I think you did a, a really good job of explaining what it is to a lot of people because we've all been in your shoes at some point, right? Oh yeah. I mean, and and honestly, it's just kind of like anything else. You should probably dip your toes in it before going full force because regret is something that you can't go back on. And I mean, I could have easily bought probably a dozen bottles of Russell's reserve. And that's an amazing uh, bourbon expression in my opinion for a good fair price. 
And instead of buying, you know, rhetoric that I'm probably not going to open up until I can find a good occasion to do so. So. Well, good deal. So Darren, again, thanks for uh, coming on. So I guess if, uh, if you want to pitch your blog, you can go with that. If that's, if you're putting reviews on there, if you've, if you've decided that, Hey, I'm going to get free stuff by putting on Reddit, then what's your Reddit username too? Uh, blog actually on mind of things. It's, uh, it's called, um, wrecked millennial, um, because I was actually feeling sorry for myself with the, uh, whole student loan debt situation and <laughs> not really liking you having, um, a master's, but, um, yeah, it's Rec Millennial. There's some posts on there, and I also plan on opening up a YouTube channel. Um, we kind of leaked it out earlier when we were talking privately. It'll be Grantitude is what the my uh, pen name is going to be, and I'm going to be doing some product photography of um, the bourbon using my photography background. So it'll look professional like it's been done you know, by one of the brands, and that way we can you know, maybe highlight some of the bourbons out there that don't get as much publicity. Good. Then you can give uh, you can give that Instagram icon whiskey with a view a, a run for his money. Then right? Yeah. And if anyone wants to check out the current photos that I've shot that are non-bourbon related, it's M E M P X L on Instagram. And there's photos that my dad and I have shot. We've been lucky enough to travel to Europe multiple times and also to China, which gives you a whole new outlook on the world when you get to see all those different cultures and how they live versus how we live here in the states. Now, aren't you mad that you weren't trying to hunt for bourbon back in Europe and China when you were there? Yes. Yeah. That's, that is a regret as well. Too. <laughs> Instead of looking at beer. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, me too. I remember, uh, even years ago traveling for work and I was just like, man, I was like, I was in Minneapolis and Arizona and like all these places. And this was like before the craze happened, I was like, why did I not buy? Yeah. Yeah. If only there was a time machine, I would go back and, and, and get it all. And then what I would do now is pay it forward to all the veterans who have been looking for it like you. And I would hand it out. Honestly, that's the only reason I went and, and got my master's was because I wanted to get to a financial position where I could do what that guy does in Kansas City and give people $100 on Christmas who need it. You know, give back, pay it forward. And Look at you. you can. You're a saint. Hey, I appreciate it, man. I, 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 I'm honorary sometimes, but I, I, I want to make sure that I, I can leave people in a better place, place than where I found them. And I think you guys do that with every episode you push out. I appreciate it, Darren. And, uh, you're, you're a good human for, for talking about that too. That's, that's awesome. I know you're, you're definitely better than most of us who are the most selfish people, uh, in, in whiskey is, are the bourbon lovers. So <laughs> yeah, give, give yourself some more credit because you, you're doing a good job and I appreciate everything you do. And thank you so much for the opportunity to sit down and chat with you today. You got it. Well, thank you, Darren. And if you like what you hear, make sure you support us on Patreon. It's P-A-T- what is that? P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. Uh, you can also subscribe to us, actually always subscribe to us on iTunes. Also subscribe to us on YouTube if you're one of those people that just loves to watch the video and have it playing in the background or you're sitting there at work. Go ahead and make sure you subscribe there. And then also follow us on all those great social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bourbon Pursuit. If you have any questions, if you have any show suggestions, you want to send us hate mail, you want to send us fan mail, you can do that as well. It's the duo, T-H-E-D-U-O at bourbonpursuit.com. With that, Darren, thank you again for joining the show, and we will see everybody next week. Mm -hmm.